All right. Well, good morning. Um, whether this is your first time here or your 200th or how many times, how many services we've had at, at Hagerstown Church, uh, you're welcome here, and uh, we're glad that you're here. Like Pastor Josh said, typically we'll be going through the book of Hebrews during this time, uh, faithfully working through, uh, really looking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire book. Um, but from time to time, we'll step out of that and look at another series, kind of a mini-series that we go to from time to time, and that is called How to Destroy a Church. Now, the name could be a little bit provocative, but what we're really looking at in this series is that we are looking at specific issues that, left unchecked in the life of the local church, can really cause a church to, to not be healthy and, and can cause serious damage to that church. And so we have spent, uh, this will be our fifth sermon that we've looked at in this series. And so far, uh, thus far, we've looked at the issues of conflict, anger, communication, and worldliness. And so again, this will be number five. And if you've missed any of those, let me encourage you to go on our website. Um, We have, our sermon library is set up in a way that you can actually search by series. And so you can pull up the How to Destroy a Church series and find every single sermon that we've done so far in that And I also want to recognize our media team, Will's faithfully working back there this week. A lot of the things they do go behind the scenes, and yet they are still helping people find and follow Jesus. They rapidly uh, will record and upload the sermon right after the service. And so whether we have our workers back in Hubtown Kids or someone who just missed the the sermon, they can very quickly go back and and listen. So thank you all, and, and you are helping people find and follow Jesus. But today, we're going to be looking at the issue of prayer. So before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we we thank you for your word, and um, we thank you that we can open it up this morning and look at the the topic of prayer. Father, we ask that your son would be most glorified um, as this sermon is preached, and uh, we pray that your spirit would would cause us to see Jesus um, and to trust him. stronger this morning. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So why prayer? Why are we looking at the topic of, of prayer? So we're not looking at prayer because Hagerstown Church is a church that doesn't pray. In fact, uh, I believe, as do many, that Hagerstown Church is a faithful praying church. And so this sermon is not a reaction to some kind of prayerlessness that we have within the church. But we're looking at prayer primarily because it's wise from time to time to reacquaint ourselves with the purpose and practice of prayer. So we've experienced a lot of growth in this area in the past couple years, but we also don't want to rest in that growth because we as fallen human beings can become very complacent and, and, and almost satisfied for where we are uh, in the area of sanctification. So we don't want to grow cold. And so we have to continue to grow in our prayer lives, right? We are all in process here at Hagerstown Church. We are all being conformed into the image of of, of God's Son. And so we want to recognize that we are not yet at a place where we could say that we've arrived as prayers. That's that's an interesting word, by the way. Someone who prays. A prayer? Yeah. So what is today going to look like? I'm going to give you five handles and we're kinda, that's going to be the outline of, of the sermon this morning. So first, we're going to look at three misconceptions about prayer and then three truths. So we're going to work to kind of lay a foundation that's going to help us to kind of uh, propel ourselves through the rest of the sermon. Secondly, we're going to give a various, uh, or a, an overview of the various examples of prayer that we see in the Scripture. We're going to start really high level, like 30,000 feet, way above the clouds. And then we're going to zoom way low and look at one specific example of prayer in the scriptures. Third, we're going to consider and diagnose an unpraying church. We're going to look at an unpraying church. What characterizes a church that doesn't pray and doesn't value prayer? Fourth, we're going to consider some practical ways that we at Hagerstown Church can faithfully practice prayer and grow in prayer at the same time. Right? We have a specific local context, and the ways that we do things are or do things are specific to us, and so we want to look at those ways and, and encourage ourselves to continue in them. And then lastly, we're going to look at how the gospel and prayer is connected. 
Okay, so that's kind of the outline for where we're going to be going through uh, this sermon. So let's go ahead and jump in. So truths and misconceptions, truths and misconceptions. Let's actually start with the negative. So misconceptions about prayer. There's a lot. We're just going to look at three. But misconception number one is that prayer informs God, that prayer informs God. The Bible is clear that God is omniscient and that he is all-knowing, and so he doesn't learn anything, and he doesn't learn anything because he's actually decreed everything. He's, he's planned everything, and so the scriptures say that he's declared the end from the beginning. We see that in Isaiah 46, and so when we pray, we're not really letting God in on something that he otherwise would not have known. Jesus specifically teaches in, in a way that's very devotional when he's talking to his disciples, he says that the Father knows what we need before we ask him. The Father knows what we need before we ask him. So misconception number one is that prayer informs God. Misconception number two, prayer and God's sovereignty are incompatible. Prayer and God's sovereignty are incompatible. So what do I mean by this? Perhaps as you consider God's sovereignty and the fact that he is in control, you may be asking questions like, does prayer really affect anything? Why pray if God already knows what will happen and has planned for what will happen? Why pray? When you ask questions like that, it means that you're thinking about the reality and the truth that God is sovereign and he is all-knowing and he is decreeing things. And so when we come to these kind of questions, those are not... Uh, bad questions to ask, but in spite of the reality that God is in control, the saints throughout the history of God's people have been a praying people. So why is this? Why is this? I would say that it's, it's not in spite of God's sovereignty that saints pray, but it is because of it. It's because God is in control that the saints of God Pray. If God doesn't hold the hearts of man in his hand, then why pray? If God can't change the heart of a sinner or, or heal the sickness of a loved one, then why pray? It is for the very reality that God is in control and is sovereign that we pray. We could say it like this. When we pray, we petition God to be God. We petition God to be God. And additionally, and I could spend a lot of time talking about this, but for the sake of time, we will not. But to briefly touch on it, it's really important to remember as we consider God's sovereignty and prayer that, that while God has determined the flow of time and the events within it, that these things don't come to pass without the use of means, without the use of means. So what do I mean by that? I mean that God uses means to accomplish his ends, to accomplish his purposes. So an example would be that God used Moses as a means to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. He didn't need Moses to do that. He didn't need Moses to take them through the Red Sea, and yet he used Moses to accomplish that purpose. So just as, as the lost will not be saved if we don't evangelize, I don't think it's wrong to say that things will not come to pass if we don't pray. Because prayer does affect things. God in his mysterious wisdom has chosen to invite his people into the bringing about of his eternal purposes. So he's determined both the means and the ends. And he's woven his people's prayers into the tapestry of his plan. And so while logically we may ask the question, does prayer affect anything if God knows everything? And the answer is yes, it does. Prayer and the sovereignty of God are not opposed to one another. Third, misconception number three, prayer is primarily about getting things from God. Prayer is primarily about getting things from God. When do we pray most? When do we pray most? Perhaps for, for many of us, we may pray when we, we think that we need something from God. We need him to do something or we need him to act. But, Prayer is much more than just getting things from God. It's much more. It's more than just asking. It's really primarily about getting God himself. This is, this is the ultimate purpose 
of prayer. C.S. Lewis said, and this should be on the screen, prayer in the sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and penitence are its threshold, adoration its sanctuary, the presence and vision and enjoyment of God, its bread and wine. So yes, saints, ask God for things. Be bold in your requests in Jesus' name, but as we do those, as we make requests, don't miss God in the process. Don't miss God. So these are the three quick misconceptions that we, we're looking at this morning. If we had more time, we may also want to talk about the fact that prayer is not a twisting of God's arm. Um, it's not uh, a forcing of God's hand to, to act. Um, but three misconceptions. Now, let's look at three truths. Three truths. Number one, prayer is talking to God. Very simply, prayer is talking to God. It's really, it's the simplest definition of prayer that we can, we can give. When we pray, we are communicating our, our praises, our desires, our needs, our hopes, our loves, our fears, failures, confusions, lamentations, and so much more, right? We are, we, when we pray, we are expressing our hearts to God. We are conversing with him. And so prayer is not, maybe this is self-explanatory, but prayer is not talking to yourself, but it is talking to a person, expressing your heart to God. Number two, prayer is dependence on God. Prayer is dependence on God. At the beginning of 2021, maybe, we did a little mini-series on prayer, and, and Pastor Josh spoke on this concept a lot, that, that prayer is dependence on God. When we pray, we're expressing that dependence. We're, we're expressing that need. If we find ourselves not praying, it's a very good likely chance that we're demonstrating a lack of dependence on God. Maybe we don't think we actually need God that much, and it reveals itself in a lack of prayer. One pastor in the, the 1800s, he said this, I find it very helpful, that prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. That prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. And I think that, I think that he's right. Because when we pray, if we don't have an understanding of our need for God, then we're not going to have any desire to pray. Right? So prayer is a dependence on God. It expresses our need, that we need you, God. Third, as we move uh, quickly, is that prayer is prompted and informed by God's word. So this is the third truth about prayer that we're uh, looking at. Prayer is prompted and informed by God's word. So God has given us a book. This book is profitable for teaching and for correction and for reproof and for training in righteousness but it's also profitable for the very fact that it is the very words of God. It is God's word for us. It is God's word preserved for us and, and recorded for us for the purpose that we would know God, that we would know him. Prayer is prompted by God's word in the sense that whenever people have prayed to God, it's always been a response to God revealing himself to man, right? It's always been a response about God revealing himself to man. Maybe you're thinking of the early humans in Genesis, Genesis 4. Uh, the scriptures say that at that time, uh, man basically be, uh, began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, they wouldn't have done that if God had not first shown himself to them. So when God speaks to us through his word, God's people respond back. And it's this two-way conversation between prayer and God's word that really is the lifeblood of a Christian. And a really good practical resource on that is, is Don Whitney's um, Praying the Bible. We looked at it a little bit yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast. I encourage you to pick up a copy of this. I, I would uh, imagine that um, if you would like one, we can make that happen and, and, and make sure you uh, grab a copy. But it kind of elaborates on that, that concept that, that prayer is really a conversation between God as his word um, uh, causes us to respond. So prayer is prompted in that sense, but it's also informed in that w when we know God better, 
our prayers change and they begin to align themselves more with God's will. When we know God better, this is what happens. So if we don't understand who God is and we don't really know what he's done, then our prayers are really not really tethered to any kind of reality, right? They're just sort of like uh, shots in the dark. Like, hey, maybe God will hear me. Maybe what I'm saying is accepted by God. Maybe what I'm saying is true about God. I don't really know, but I'm just going to put one out there. But really, we need to know who God is if we're going to rightly pray to him. And the Bible is what reveals God to us. The Bible informs us as we pray. So I may be going at lightning pace. That's okay. This, that's a quick foundation, right? Three misconceptions and three truths about prayer. Now that, we've laid, now that we've laid that quick foundation, we want to look at an overview of prayer in the Bible. And I pray that this section of the sermon would really be an opportunity for God's word to simply wash over you as you really see God's people praying and, and specific prayers recorded in the scriptures. So I said that we were going to look at really a 30,000-foot view of, of, uh, scripture, uh, of prayer in the scripture and then come down really far uh, and look at one specific area. But from a high-level view, I would say that prayer really can be best uh, summarized and generalized by the use of an acronym, and that acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. Many of you have heard of this acronym and, and may uh, use it um, as, as, a, as a guide and, and, and uh, as a way to help you pray biblically, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I think this acronym is very helpful. If I, if I can say, I think there is a danger when we use the, these kind of acronyms because they can sort of lock us in to a certain kind of prayer that really becomes overly structured, uh, really to the extent that we feel that we can't properly pray to God unless we hit every part of the acronym. I know that I've experienced that in my own life. If I don't pray every part of, of Acts, I may feel condemnation or I may not feel adequate enough um, as I pray to the Father. But as an overview of prayer in the Bible, I think it's very helpful. Again, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So let's spend a few minutes looking at examples of each of these in the scriptures. So number one, first we see adoration. What is adoration? It's simply God's people expressing love and worship and reverence to God. The root word of adoration is adore, right? So it is prayers for the express purpose of adoring God, for praising him. Let's look at a couple examples. We see, we see Hannah in 1 Samuel when she, when she basically dedicates Samuel to the Lord's service. She says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. We see King David pray this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. When Solomon dedicated the temple, Solomon is David's son, right? The scriptures say that he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven, and he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. These are prayers of adoration. They're not prayers about asking God to do something. They are simply prayers of worship and praise, adoring the Lord. Secondly, if we work our way through the acronym, we see prayers of confession. Now, these are, this is a very easy uh, type of prayer to understand. Confession is simply the humbling of sinful people and confessing of sin before God. And there's really not a more famous example of confession, confessional prayer in the Bible than of David's, 
after he was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan. The scriptures record David's prayer, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He goes on to say that create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is a prayer of confession. The Spirit of God has come through the words of the prophet Nathan and has convicted the king of Israel for his sin, and he responds in confession. Third, we see prayers of thanksgiving. I used to think that thanksgiving spelled backwards was giving thanks. That's not actually true. But I I was told that as a kid. Thanksgiving is simply the act of giving thanks, right? It's very appropriate at this time of year. But let's look at some examples of thanksgiving. After Daniel was granted the ability to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what did he do? He thanked God. This is what he said. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Very simple Daniel says, thank you, God, for helping me to interpret this dream. We see our Lord and Savior Jesus thanking his Father for his perfect wisdom. The scriptures say that Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus is full of thanksgiving for the wisdom of God. We also see Jesus obviously recording, or the scriptures recording Jesus as giving thanks before meals, right? Before the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, and at the Last Supper, Jesus breaks bread and gives thanks. He recognizes God's provision in giving, giving him and the disciples food and drink. And so the scriptures are full of, of examples of giving thanks. Uh, fourth and finally, we see prayers of supplication, This is a fancy word that that really means petition or to ask for something. Whether it's on behalf of the one praying or on the behalf of others. It's asking for something. Perhaps this is the part of the acronym that we most easily understand and maybe and most regularly practice. We see in the scriptures, again, Daniel. It should be a surprise that Daniel's in here a lot. He was actually thrown in prison into a lion's den because he refused to do what? To not do what? To not pray, right? Again, Daniel prayed on behalf of his people and his city. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. David's, or Daniel's asking for things here. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We see Jesus praying for his sheep. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And what is Jesus' final petition? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In the Bible, we see God's people offering up prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and, repent and, and, uh, and, and supplication. And there are, of course, other kinds of prayers in the Bible, right? Prayers of lament, even prayers of imprecation, asking God to judge his enemies. 
But I, I believe that this acronym is helpful, and it gives us a really good general overview of, of the prayers in the scriptures. So, so that's a 30,000-foot view of prayer in the Bible. But let's zoom in really very, uh, very closely uh, with a magnifying glass and ask the question, what did Jesus specifically teach about prayer? Your minds are probably going to the Lord's Prayer, right? Because it is probably the most associated thing with uh, Jesus and the topic of prayer. One thing before we go in and look at that prayer is that the Lord's Prayer is not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Lord's Prayer is not a, a command and a, a prayer that we have to pray verbatim if we're going to be obedient, but rather it's a, a, a descriptive prayer that helps us to understand how God's people pray, how we as a praying people should approach the Father. Jesus says to pray then like this. And so if you would with me, let's open up the scriptures and look at Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 13 as we zoom in on this uh, specific prayer. It's page 964 in the Black Bible, if you want to take one of those. 964. Starting in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's aptly named. And Jesus says that we are to pray then like this. So what can we glean from this prayer? So let's, let's unpack each little section of this prayer, kind of break it apart and look at all, all of its parts. So first we have an address, right? Who are we praying to? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So we're praying to the God who is infinitely higher than us. He's sovereign over all. He's, he's the king of all creation. None compares to the God that we speak to. And yet, Jesus would have us understand that God is our Father. In Christ, we are God's children. God is a good Father, and He cares about us, and He knows what we need, and He wants to give good gifts to His children. What father, if his son asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Our Father is a good, good Father. And so when we pray to our Father in heaven, we need to keep these two realities kind of in view. That, that yes, God is king of the universe. And when we approach him, we are approaching him who sits on his throne. And yet, he is our loving Father. That is the balance that we must strike. Remember who we're addressing. As we move through the prayer, what we have left are petitions, right? They're supplications, we're asking for things here. So what does, what does Jesus say that a child of God prays for? Number one, that God's name would be hallowed. That just simply means that God's name would be holy, that it would be made holy, that people would recognize its holiness. God's people pr pray in such a way that desires God's name to be set apart in the world and in our hearts. We are to pray in such a way that God's fame and glory is shown to be the primary motivation of our communication with God. All glory to you, Father. Two, we pray that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray in such a way that desires and longs for God's kingdom to be built here on earth. We long for those who, who live in this world who are apart from Christ and don't live in obedience to God's commands. We, we desire that God's will would be done here on earth, that people would become obedient to the will of God and, and would lovingly submit to him just as 
the saints do in heaven, and as the angels do in heaven. His will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. What's the third petition, if you're following along? To give us this day our daily bread. We are to pray in such a way that approaches God with a heart content and being given what we need. We recognize that, that we as creatures are dependent on God for everything. The scriptures say that, that God gives us life and breath and everything. And so God supplies not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs as well. And so we're to approach him and ask that he give us our daily bread. We don't ask for tomorrow's daily bread, but we ask for today's daily bread. Fourth, God's people pray in such a way that seeks forgiveness from God. We're to confess our sins to God, right? We believe that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fifth, and finally, we pray and say things like, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray in a way that shows that we are depending on God in our fight against sin and our fight against our own flesh and our fight against Satan and our fight against the power of the world. We are depending on the Lord to see us through and to give us victory. So if you want to know if you're, if you're praying according to Jesus' school of prayer, then ask yourself questions like this. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to run through some questions here. They're not going to be on the screen. But ask questions like this. Am I relating to God as a child when I come to him? Am I worshiping God as the sovereign king whose name is holy, holy, holy? Again, we're, at, we're asking questions that come out from this Lord's Prayer. Am I praying in a way that longs for God's kingdom here on earth? Is God's glory my primary motivation when I pray? Am I praying for things God wants? Am I asking God, who's self-sufficient, to sustain me, the creature, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally? Am I content? Am I confessing and seeking forgiveness? Am I then resting in God's love? Am I praying for unity and peace among the church, confessing any bitterness or withheld forgiveness that I might have? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Am I crying out to God for help in time of need, especially as it relates to the indwelling and besetting sin in my life? These are the kind of questions that, that we can ask, these diagnostic questions, to look at whether or not we're praying in a way that is characterized by the Lord's Prayer. There are many other areas of Scripture that we could look at and zoom in on. We could look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in, in John 17. We could look at the way that Paul prays for the churches that he writes to. We could look at the way David prays in the Psalms. And we could look at the way Jeremiah prays in Lamentations, literally a whole book that has to do with the prayer of lament. The list could go on and on, but the reality is that God has given us a book. He's given us a book. And so we can learn and apply much about prayer from simply living in the Bible and reading it and meditating on it. Now, if we, if we zoom back out and look at the, the outline of the sermon, we're moving into the third part of the sermon, and this is uh, what I'm calling an unpraying church, an unpraying church. Now, it's this part of the sermon that really places this sermon in how to destroy a church series and not just a standalone sermon on prayer. So simply put, a church that ceases to pray is on its deathbed. What's the best way to, to describe a prayerless church and how do we demonstrate the dangers associated with that? I thought long and hard about how I was going to approach this part of the, the sermon. And I thought about coming up with a list of, of things that characterize an unpraying church. 
But I kind of came to the conclusion that really the best thing that I can do is to really sum it all up by employing a, a term that I didn't come up with, but I heard probably five, six years ago, and it, it has stuck, uh, stood with me and stuck with me ever since. That this term is very helpful when we really consider what it's saying, and I think it's going to cause us to feel the weight of, of prayerlessness. So what's the term? The term is practical atheism. Practical atheism. Maybe you've heard of this term before. Practical atheism, yep, there's a definition right there. It's a term used to describe a Christian who professes faith in God, but lives as if God doesn't exist. I'll say that again. Practical atheism is a term used to describe a Christian who professes faith in God, but lives as if God doesn't exist. Now, we as Christians would never say that God doesn't exist, but we may live in a way as to suggest to others that he doesn't. I would submit to you that as we consider prayerlessness and a lack of prayer in the local church, that this is the greatest sign that practical atheism has infiltrated that church. A lack of prayer. An unpraying church has ceased communicating with the God who shed his own blood for her. She no longer desires communion and fellowship with God. Now, she might throw up a prayer every once in a while when, when things get tough, but the relationship from which prayer flows from has really deteriorated, and there's a lack of communication with the Father. Now, why is this the biggest sign of practical atheism? Well, I think it's because atheists don't pray. They don't pray. Now, if atheists do pray, they're pretty inconsistent atheists, and they're betraying what they, what they say is true about reality. Now, when churches begin to devalue the practice of prayer, they're behaving like atheists. And church, I would, allow the, I would, I would pray that you would allow that to con- convict you as it's convicted me this week. When I don't pray, when I don't go to the Father, I'm behaving like an atheist who doesn't pray to the Father because he doesn't believe the Father exists. Now, we may be really quick to critique the atheistic worldview, but do our lives look any different than, than the worldview that we're critiquing, right? Consider four reasons why churches don't practice prayer. They'll be on the screen all at the same time. Number one, because they don't realize their need. Two, they rest in their abilities and talents. Three, they underestimate the power of sin and Satan. And four, they love the world more than God. I have no need to unpack these, but I will say that are these not all character traits of an atheist? An atheist doesn't realize their need for God. They certainly rest in their own abilities and talents. They underestimate the power of sin and Satan. They don't not only underestimate it, they don't think it exists. And they certainly love the world more than God because the world is all that they have. These traits not only characterize an atheistic worldview, they characterize a church who does not pray who, or who at best, undervalues prayer. A church may have the most robust theology and teaching, the best leadership development strategy, the most talented worship team, and donate the most turkeys. But if it doesn't pray, then that church is not much different than a secular nonprofit who's doing many of the same things. Remember, what do the scriptures say? It's the prayers of a righteous man that have great power as they are working. It's the prayers, not anything else. This is what the scriptures say. And I think that most churches would be challenged if if asked if they really believe that statement to be true based on what they prioritize as a church body. A church that devalues prayer and, God forbid, doesn't really pray at all would be challenged to say that, hey, maybe it's not actually the prayers that have the power as they work. Uh, The great 
Anglican theologian J.I. Packer says this, we must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. As we continue this morning, as I said earlier, there's no condemnation in this sermon because in many respects, this sermon is preaching to the choir, right? I believe Hagerstown Church is a praying church. I, I have no doubt of that. I, I can praise God knowing that in the past few years, God, by his grace, has grown us in this area immensely. But we also don't want to grow complacent. And we need to recognize that practical atheism is an ever-present temptation, not only in the life of every Christian, but in the, the life and culture of every local church. So how can we at Hagerstown Church faithfully practice the gift of prayer and grow as a praying people? Now, this section is going to be speaking to the members of the church, but if you're not a member or you don't claim the name of Christ, don't tune out during this section. View it as a way and a lens and a, and a, a window into the life of a local church. I pray that you would see, uh, see, see light as we look at this. So let's look quickly at some ways that we can participate in prayer in the life of the church. Uh, one way is that we can use our member directory and prayer guide. Now, this is a member directory and a prayer guide. Now, if we wanted to just have really nice pictures produced by a professional photographer and get our, all our families to dress up really nicely and come in and, and make sure we had some addresses as well and some phone numbers, that, that would be something, and it wouldn't be a bad thing. But the elder's desire in, in this document is much more. It is a, a tool that facilitates prayer within the local church. You may be saying, Brett, I, I don't even know some of the people in here. I've never seen them. I, I, how can I pray for people I don't know? Well, at the very beginning, there are prayer points. And while you may not know an individual in here, you can still pray that they would grow in their hunger for the word of the Lord, that they would grow in their holiness, that the, under, the understanding of the gospel would grow and that their application of it would grow, that they would grow in their ability and passion to share the gospel, that they would grow in their dedication and capability and personal discipline as they pursue the Lord, and that they would grow in the pursuit of unity and love and, and reconciliation in, in a diverse uh, culture. Church, let me encourage you, and I know many of us are already doing this, but pray for your members. Pray for your, your members. Use this in your, your devotional time. Use this in your family worship time. Pray for the members of your church. Intercede and petition on behalf of your members to, to the Father. Another thing that we can do to participate in prayer is to participate in the pastoral prayer. Pastoral prayer is given every single week. And, and in some respects, it is used as a way for Pastor Josh to model prayer to the congregation. But in another way, it, it is used as an invitation to invite us to corporately pray. To corporately pray to our Father. And that can look as simple as, as Pastor Josh prays for certain things, whether it be a missionary or for another local church or, 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 or what have you, pray with him. Ask for the same things that, that, that Josh is asking for. Pray to the Father corporately. Uh, the, uh, the scriptures say that, uh, that as we pray, it's a pleasing aroma to God that comes up to him. Um, and so the prayers of the saints uh, have much power and so let me encourage you to pray corporately during that time. Again, another way would be life groups and discipleship groups. I feel like every application and every sermon could involve life groups and discipleship groups because it's how we do life in, in, in this church. Many of you may know that the final question in the, in the sermon questions in, in life group is, how does this passage of scripture and sermon prompt us to pray? Pray for these things and others. It's there to encourage life groups to consider God speaking to us, and then consider how we can respond back to him in prayer. Think about during your week, sharing prayer requests with your groups, with your life group, with your, with your D group. 
And even in D groups, you can go even, in, even deeper, right? Because D groups are a smaller, a smaller group. They're, they're gender exclusive, right? Just men or just women in a group. Use those groups as a means to pray. To not only pray for yourself, but to pray for others. Another example would be prayer breakfasts. We've had a really good time this year about, or of gathering together as a local church every, every month. And yes, eating a great breakfast, fellowshipping with the saints, but praying. Praying for specific things. Specific things that are going on in the life of this church. Specific things that are, are going on outside of this church. Even being so bold as to pray for our leaders and government even ones that we don't disagree or don't agree with. What about family worship? There's not necessarily a right way to do family worship, but a good, way, a good handle would be to read, pray, and sing. And so consider how you can pray during family worship. Again, prayer guide would be a great way to use that, to, to maybe pray for one member or one family member family uh, every night. Maybe you want to pray for more than one a night. But use this as a tool during family worship times. And, and, and fathers, use this as an opportunity to model prayer to your children. Sixth, finally, members meetings. Pastor Chris says this a lot. Members meetings are not business meetings. They are where the church gathers to do the work of the church. And, and one of the works of the church is to pray. Is to pray mightily. And so, very similar to the prayer breakfast, there are specific topics chosen by the elders that the church needs to pray for, whether it's a a new budget or a missionary that's being um, featured or for a specific thing happening in the local church. These are just some examples of how the members of Hagerstown Church can participate in prayer. But how can we grow as a praying people? How can we grow? Because again, we're all in process. None of us would say that, hey, I've arrived as someone who prays. I really need no more help in that area. Um, I just wish everyone would be like me, right? <laughs> None of us have arrived there yet. By God's grace, we will. At some point, when, God, when Jesus comes back, we'll be the, the per, a perfect prayer and a per, perfect uh, communicator to, to the Father. Quickly, three ways that we can grow as a praying people. Number one, let the Bible saturate you. Again, live in the Bible. Live in the scriptures. Read the prayers of the saints throughout time. See how God's people went to the Father, how they adored him, how they confessed sin, how they offered thanksgiving to to God, how they supplicated and petitioned for, for, for God's people. Read the scriptures. There is, a, there is a connection between how much you're in the word and, how, and, and what your prayers look like. So live in the Bible. Number two, learn from other men and women in the church as they model prayer. Because we're, we do life together, we pray with each other, right? And so we hear the prayers of our brothers and of our sisters. Not, when you hear those prayers, consider, hey, does he pray good? Pray well? Okay, what is it about that prayer that, that I find helpful? Maybe he's making much of Jesus during that prayer. Maybe he's, he's not praying some really lengthy prayer for the sake of time, but he's just bearing his heart to the Lord in, in maybe a quick, quick, a quick 10 seconds. God has placed people around us to help us. Just as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look at your brothers and sisters and learn to pray from them. And third and finally, read and meditate on examples of other spirit-filled prayers that are outside of the scriptures. We've, we've seen a couple of times that this book, The Valley of Vision, has been talked about behind the pulpit. This is a collection of Puritan prayers uh, compiled uh, by Arthur Bennett uh, many years ago. And it is a glorious resource. I I was given this book, and I've, I've been working my way through it, but I can't seem to get past page six because the prayer, the great God, I just keep going back to, and I, I just keep meditating on. But read and meditate on other examples of God's people praying, and you'll see your prayers grow. 
Allow me to read part of the great God. O fountain of all good, destroy in me every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness and plant in me true lowliness of spirit. O holy trinity, three persons in one God, inhabit me a temple consecrated to thy glory. When thou art present, evil cannot abide. In thy fellowship is fullness of joy. Beneath thy smile is peace of conscience. By thy side no fears disturb, no apprehensions banish rest of mind. Nothing exceeds thy power. Nothing is too great for thee to do. Nothing too good for thee to give. Infinite is thy might, boundless thy love, limitless thy grace, glorious thy saving name. Let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the formalist driven from a refuge of lies, the ignorant enlightened, and saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. Allow, the script, uh, allow not only the scriptures, but things like this to help you pray better, to see just the love and peace and assurance that people like the Puritans had as they went to the Father and learn from these prayers, maybe even utilize it uh, as you pray um, to, to, to grow in that area. If you want, want more information about the Valley Vision, please see me. Uh, it is a, just an amazing resource. So, I don't know what time it is, but we, we come to the last part of, of the sermon this morning. And it is what I would say is the most important part of the sermon. So if you walk away from this sermon and all you hear is, I need to do this and I need to do that because that's what Christian people do. They pray, so I need to do that. I failed you if that's what you take away from the sermon. Now, if I ended the sermon right here, then I wouldn't blame you for thinking that because I would have left you without the most crucial aspect of prayer, and that is the gospel. We can't start praying rightly to God until we understand the gospel. So what is the gospel? If I had a main idea, the main idea would be an explanation of the gospel. The gospel is this. Man can draw near to God because God has drawn near to man through Jesus Christ. Man can draw near to God because God has drawn near to man through Jesus Christ. This is so important that God would draw near to us because left to ourselves, left to our own devices, we would never, we would never draw near to God. We would never come to him. The scriptures are clear that, that no one seeks after God, that no one has, 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 uh, has sought after him, that we have all gone our own way. The Bible calls this sin, a turning away from God to seek our own way. But God, in his loving kindness, did not leave us in our sin. In time and in history, he sent his son to live amongst humanity. His son took on flesh and he became the man, Jesus. Now, Jesus' purpose was to bring men back to God, but he didn't accomplish this by being a good teacher or offering wisdom to man that then we could use to try to grope our way back to God in the darkness. He accomplished this by dying for us. That's how he brings sinners back to God. The scriptures say that, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus, the only truly righteous man who ever lived, gave his life for sinful man, people like you and me. And when he did that, he tore down the barrier that existed because of our sin between God and us 
He tore that down, and now Jesus' blood cleanses us and makes us holy. He washes us with his blood. And because we've been washed, now man can now have access to God. We can come to God because Jesus has torn down that wall and that barrier that stood between us. Ephesians 3 says that this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access to God the Father through our faith in Jesus Christ. So do you see the connection between the gospel and prayer? Do you see it? Since then, we have a great high priest. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we pray to God and expect that he will hear us? Why can we expect that? Why can we go to God for our every need? Because we have Jesus representing us. He's mediating for us. He's interceding for us. If the one who's interceding for us, if because of his righteousness he was raised from the dead, then we should be of supreme confidence to go before the Father knowing that Jesus Christ himself is mediating for us. And God's not going to reject us if we believe that because we can draw near to God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. There's one part of the gospel that I've not said yet, and it's that the work of Jesus is not automatically applied to every man and every woman. The gospel demands a response. So in order to have access to God, to be in his presence, we need to repent and and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you want to have access to God, you have to first have your sins forgiven. And if you want your sins forgiven... You need to repent of your sins, turn away from them, and place your trust fully, your belief, on Jesus himself, whose death paid for sins. If you do that, then the throne room of God is open to you. You can now draw near to God as a child draws near to his father. In Christ, God can become your father, and he will delight in you, God takes pleasure in his people and desire to commune with you and he's going to rejoice to hear your prayers if you enter through Christ. Again, the gospel says that man can draw near to God because God has drawn near to man through Jesus Christ. As we close, I want to share one of my favorite Bible verses with you. I've been thinking a lot about this verse as I've prepared for the sermon. And the verse is Deuteronomy 4.7. This is what it says. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? When Moses said this in the hearing of the people, right, they're on the borders of the promised land, they're about to go in, Moses believes what he's saying. Of all the nations of of ancient times and ancient days, which one of them had a God who actually communicated with them and actually fellowshiped with them, actually heard their prayers, and actually existed? Only Yahweh, the Lord God, this could be said about. But But what Moses told the people that day was really just a foretaste of a greater nearness, right? A foretaste of a a more perfect drawing near that's accomplished by Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can say with greater confidence than even Moses himself that God is near. Jesus has placed us at the very foot of the throne of God through his work. God has drawn near to us and made us a people, a holy nation, the scriptures say. And so we can draw near to him. And so let us 
call upon him and believe that as God's people, he hears us. Again, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Would you call upon him now? If you've not repented of your sins and and placed your faith in in Jesus and begun to follow him, would you call upon the Lord and, and ask him to save you? That's a prayer that he loves to answer. If Jesus has already saved you and has made you clean, let me encourage you to continue to draw near to God, trusting in the merit of Jesus' blood. You know, we were once so far from God, once walking in darkness, and yet God has drawn near to us through Jesus, so much so that he is now our heavenly father, and we are his children What nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Wherever you find yourself this morning, let's draw near to him now. Let's pray. Father, you are so near to us. Your nearness is brought near to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would continue to draw near to us, that your scriptures would inform us about you, that our love for Jesus would grow, that our belief that you are near to us, even abiding within us, uh, that that belief would grow as well. Father, we ask that if there are those here who, who do not have access and do not have the boldness to go to you, um, we ask that, uh, that your spirit would convict and that your spirit would lovingly draw uh, people here to you that they would see that you, Jesus, have indeed brought the Father near and that we can draw near to you. And we love you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.